stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to be less of a comeback than Tiger Woods, welcome back to Motorsport 101. Yeah, I went old school for the intro. How clever was that? Welcome to episode 162 there of Motorsport 101. And welcome to the IndyCar season review special here on Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, with you as always. And joining us on this week's edition of the show, well, guys that all support football teams better than mine. Isn't that lovely? First whoa, up, whoa, you're saying that the New York Jets are better than You're the New England the Patriots. the Buffalo Bills are better than <laughs> anything? Hey, who that? <laughs> As you can see, there's varying degrees of, of agreeance here with me in this, in this Discord at the moment. But hey, um, first up as always, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, I'm so, I'm so happy that some fan out there, the New England Patriots, can somehow believe... That the New York Jets are better than the Patriots despite losing to the Cleveland Browns. Hey, no, no, that wasn't a loss. That was just putting them over. <laughs> just putting them over. They, 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 did, they did the deed. They did the deed for, for Cleveland to get their first football in win in 635 days. <laughs> the Cleveland Browns have won a game of football, ladies and gentlemen. It makes me so happy inside. And Baker Mayfield is awesome. Go Baker! Baker Mayfield is the man. He's our Lord and Savior. Better than Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> I'm only half joking when I say that. Uh, meantime, joining me is from, uh, from from Tennessee himself, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Yes, this was also a very big weekend in sports because the uh, because the Cumberland. Um, the Cumberland Incorporated Metro Area Atlanta Area Braves uh, of Cobb County, Georgia, also clinched their first playoff berth in five years, Yay! which coincidentally was the first time in between uh, in between Tiger Woods PGA Tour victories. Um, chances to say, like I'm treating every I'm treating the fact that they even got to the playoffs a year early on a massive tear it down rebuild. Um, that's big. Um, anything after that is a bonus. We would so get throttled in the, when the, if we made the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it, but uh, like RJ's furiously chopping as we speak. Um, because as oh, you no. all know, kids, podcasting is a visual medium. You know, we've we got to get the eye candy right. out. Yes, that's right. We have all eye candy on this podcast. We are just, we are just four, uh, sometimes as many as five panelists that just radiate pure sexual energy and have purple hair yeah that's right um please uh please send us your please send us your shag mary kill questions uh, <laughs> at motorsport under, please send us uh, sorry please send us your uh danny brennan specials on uh on uh on at motorsport underscore 101 we appreciate all your feedback as constructive or not constructive as it may be <laughs> Don't send it to my curious cat inbox. I will find you and kill you. Anyway, because of your passion. <laughs> because. <laughs> oh, you had to go there, Audrey, didn't you? Oh God. 
We're coming up to the 100 episode anniversary of that famous moment next week. May the good lord help us all. That was episode 63, that was. This is 162. It's uh, funny, that. But uh, anyway, we have a special guest joining us again, coming back from last week's show. It's Krista Hardy, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, sir. You know, as much as we like to say the Cleveland Browns had the biggest upset of the weekend, apparently we've all forgotten Old Dominion University beating Virginia oh, Tech. Oh, jeez. Oh, Christ. Oh, Christ. Oh, no. No. Oh, Christ. Josette, you can, Josette, you can just, you can just stop. You can just skip to the next episode now. Yeah. Apparently, apparently I have now been canceled, quote unquote. Like, People that still go along with that. Shut the hell up. Chris, did you anyway. Just, Chris, did you just piss off one of our Patreon backers? <laughs> yes, yes, you did. We're taking direct shots now. He's L- taking money you, out of our bank accounts. Love you, Josette. Love you, Josette. Love you, Zoe. Marco did a great job. We didn't We did, We didn't. didn't forget the Purdue one today as well. That's fine. <clears throat> uh, is, is this a motorsport podcast or a college football roundup? Like, like... <laughs> Welcome to the Motorsport 101 podcast, the internet's only... IndyCar series podcast. Of course, of course. No, 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 no ones on the internet exist. We all know that. But uh, in the meantime... And also, thank you very much to New Orleans for uh, giving me heart palpitations as they beat the Atlanta Falcons in overtime in Atlanta. And also, uh, whoever does the uh, hiring for the Atlanta Falcons, make sure you hire a proofreader next time. I understand you wanted to pay homage to the former Saints owner, Tom Benson, after he passed away. But it was a very nice rivalry that y'all gave us. It's spelled <laughs> rivalry. R I V A L R Y. Thank you very much. Now please take this L. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of that. <laughs> anyway, places you can find this real quick. Um, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. If you missed it, on Saturday night, me and King did a Google Hangout. It was fun. And we didn't, yeah. act, we didn't actually throw any shots at anyone on the internet this time round. It's a miracle. Uh, it's a miracle. Two and a half hours of fun for all the family uh, on our YouTube channel as we speak. It's a fun way of getting around it. And uh, yeah, also stick around there later this week. But by the time this goes out, there will be a new Drabery video out. Teaser already is the longest one I've ever written. It's almost 1,200 words long and it's probably going to be over seven minutes. It kind of defeats the, uh, the purpose of the word brief at this point, but hey, who cares, <laughs> right? It's not like Cinema Sins were three minutes long when they started out as well. We're just going to get bigger as time goes on. Um, so, uh, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 for that one. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter. You can follow us at motorsport underscore 101. You can find our personal handles at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell. And at C the Hard A, C D E H A R D E for that one. It's a bit of an awkward spelling. And if you really like us, you could back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and to Bike Live, which episode 79 will be out by the, by the time this goes out tomorrow. Well, we're recording this on Monday, it'll be out Tuesday. It'll be a big superbike episode based all about the world superbikes in Portimao. And the most ridiculous finish you've ever heard in your life um, in, this, in their super sport race featuring Lucas Mahias, a flat tyre, a red flag, and a five-minute time rule that you never thought would come into effect. <laughs> Trust me, it's as mad as it sounds. And BSB as well. 
on a Jake Dixon's double victory at Alton Park this weekend, making the showdown just a little bit more interesting as they head to Assen this weekend. So all of that as well on episode 79 of Bike Live. If you're back at the $10 level, you can actually join this show um, and listen in as it goes out live on our Discord server, which a lot of you guys are doing right now. So thanks to you guys for listening in as we speak. Much appreciated. So without further ado in this musical interlude, we're going to review the 2018 IndyCar season. I figured since uh, since IndyCar does like to market itself as the future is now and uh, what happens next, um, usually what happens next is uh, young drivers, so this actually gives us an opportunity to talk about uh, the road to Indy, and I figured we'd start by just climbing the ladder starting at USF 2000, or as, uh, as Krista Hardy would tell us, it's pretty much the Kyle Kirk woodshed. <laughs> Yes, uh, very, very accurate. Um, <clears throat> so Connor Kirkwood this year uh, finished first in the first race of the year, finished fifth at the second race in St. Petersburg, second at the first race in Indianapolis, and then he didn't lose a race for the rest of the season, winning 11 in a row, 12 out of 14 races. And when you, if you count his Formula 3 uh, races, he's won 22 out of the last 23 races that he's actually started. Um winning 19 races in a row between May 11th and the last race in New Jersey. I forgot what day it was. But, um, yeah, he's he's absolutely been on fire this year. Not as much as Zach Veach, though, but uh, he's, he's done an amazing job. <laughs> to be fair. He, so Kirkwood scored 440 points. I believe the total that was available on offer was 477 Jesus. points. The <laughs> second Great. place – the second pl- – the second place person in the championship had 236 points. So he almost doubled up. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> if you look at where the season progressed, if you by the time that he was done with the um, the race at the Lucas Oil Raceway on the oval, on the oval, it was basically to the point where no one else had finished in the top five every single race of the year. He was the only driver that did that the whole year. Every race in the top five. Um, it, it was an amazingly consistent beatdown that Kyle Kirkwood did on the rest of the field, and he's going to move up to Pro Mazda next year. Um, he wasn't testing at the Chris Griffiths test at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this past weekend because he was driving in F3 Americas. Um, but let's face it, I don't think he needs that much testing time because he's done enough this year anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm already slotting him in. as like If, if he takes the Nets progressive step up to uh, – to pro, is it gonna be pro Mazda next year? That still has yet to be decided. Uh, the engine is still technically a Mazda engine, um, but we don't know what the series is actually gonna be called. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Mazda ceased will cease after 2018. There's spo- uh, sponsorship of the Mazda Road to Indy. The scholarships this year will be paid out, as will the uh, scholarship for the shootout in, t- in late in I think. November or December, there's a $200,000 shootout for a driver to get money to go into USF 2000. That will still be paid out, but next year they don't know what's going to happen with the scholarship. I'm confident that there will be one paid out. We just don't know who's going to foot the bill for it. 
And uh, also, spare a thought for uh, for Alex Baron, who was the only non-Kirkwoodian winner this season. Won, uh, won two races, but didn't show up again after Road America. Yeah, so Alex Barron uh, with him, he um, he actually had probably the drive of the year at the second race at Indianapolis where he was in second place, or rather trying to pass Jamie Caroline for second place. The two had contact. He spun, followed it back to, I think it was 21st place, and he f- fought his way back and finished second and actually almost won that race from Kirkwood. Uh, he's going to be driving in 2019 for Legacy Autosport in USA 2000. His main issue that he had was he had, he had some visa issues earlier uh, this past year. Uh, now it's all solved. He's got a two-year visa, so everything should be just fine. Excellent. Let's step up to the Pro Your your Insert Your Name Here uh, series. We had Engines Poppin' and Harrison Scott flying, And also Renus VK won the title. Yeah, um, Renus had probably the most consistent year of anybody. Um, he didn't have any mechanicals during the race, during the races when actually it all mattered. Very little contact. I think he just had the one DNF at Indianapolis. Um, he showed up when it mattered. Um, and when he didn't win, he did everything he could to get on the podium and maintain his position very well. And it was just a case of <clears throat> when other drivers were faulting, he was still maintaining good position. Parker Thompson had a couple of bad races at Toronto. He had a couple of fourths at Road America. And he had a mechanical issue that prevented him from qualifying over at uh, Gateway. And Gateway, because it's an oval, is more points than usual. It just uh, it wasn't necessarily the best for Parker as well. But the good news, though, is that Parker, Renus, and also Oliver Askew were all able to test an Indy Lights car at the Chris Griffiths test. And all three really enjoyed their time there. I'm thinking like Oliver Askew was do a season bounce back because the way before in the time before Kirk, Kirkwood dominated USF 2000, uh, Askew was the guy in uh, in 2017 in that championship, and also his name is just very very fantastic. Yeah, and not only that, but uh, Askew should have had a much better year. He unfortunately had some issues with. Um, you know, trying to, I guess, figure the car out a little bit. But he did win the second race, the second to last race of the year in Portland. Um, we had quite a diverse cast of characters in the winner circle with Renus, Parker, Harrison Scott had a couple of wins there. Yeah. Parker Thompson had three wins. David Malukas had three wins. Malukas I'm really impressed with, and especially after what happened to him at Mid-Ohio when the car just cut out completely. He actually went to the stands and actually signed autographs for people as well, which is really, really nice. Uh, And David uh, Malukas is only 16 years old. And he's going to do Indy Lights next year more than likely. Golly, what were you doing at 16 years old, everybody? Homework. Um, Struggling to cope through uh, through the through the hell that is public high school. Uh, Seriously, must have been. Yeah, yeah. Well, homework and. I mean, just because it's just because you can say it doesn't mean you should. I say I've um, taken many times on the show. That was still two years away from playing oh, wow. World of Warcraft, so yeah. I feel old just mentioning. I mean, I just having World of Warcraft mentioned in this medium. That's uh, that's quite a thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon, pretty soon there are going to be chill. Pretty soon there are going to be children who were born in the year that World of Warcraft came out that are going to be able to take a learner's permit Jesus. test. Thanks, RJ. Oh. I really needed to feel worse about myself right now. 
Uh, should and we also, move up well, to the... Well, one thing, yes. if I may, we also had a lot of guest drivers, too, participate in Pro Mazda as well. Um, Raul Guzman, Mateus Silver, Obel, Corey Anders, James Raven, and, you know, one guy that really made an impact in the series from the UK, Toby Sowery. He ran a USF 2000 for a couple of races for Team Bennick, which is a massive karting team in the United States. And he actually finished second in both races at Road America behind David Malukas. Sowery did a great job that weekend, and I'm looking forward to seeing if he can come back to the United States to race a little bit more next year. And he really enjoyed his time spent that he spent over here, too. Yeah, and I'm also researching. Sowery did, like, he's done, like, a 10 races in International GT Open. So he's done some big boy cars now. That's pretty neat. I love drivers that are able to actually get into many different kinds of cars and race. Uh, he's he's done the job now. Here's hoping that he's able to do more of what he wants to do. And I think he wants to race a lot more in America with the the, the attitude of the paddock compared to what it is what it has been in Europe and what he's experienced and what he told me over at Road America. Come to America, Toby, and find yourself a new NFL team that will ultimately break your heart in some form or fashion. Um. Let's go and step on up uh, gradually to Indy Lights. I know, I know we've uh, talked about how for many races the field has been as small as seven cars, but it doesn't really matter because the racing has just been very, very good uh, throughout the season. And man, the Tokyo Award was head of the class. Absolutely. Um, what the US, USF 2000 field and Promazo field has in quantity... The Indian field has in quality. Um, there were five drivers realistically all year long that I would have considered as title contenders. Five drivers won races. One of the drivers that I would classify as a title contender didn't win. Um, but we had several drivers that I would classify as great drivers that could make their debut in IndyCar next year, no problem. Two drivers have already been signed to IndyCar next year with Patricio Award, the title winner, and Colton Herta as well, driving for Harding. Steinbrenner racing next year. Monte Ruscia unfortunately finished third in this year's championship, so he went down from second place that he's done the last couple of years. And really, the race, the drive of the year, I mean, you look at the Freedom 100, it was a great race and all, but flying Ryan Norman at the gateway with, with the pass that he made late in the going to get the win there was amazing. Um, you also had guys like Victor Franzoni race, who was on a shoestring budget. He had the scholarship money from Mazda and not much else to help him. And then he had a guy like Aaron Tielitz who in the first three races of the year didn't complete more than about a mile and a half or so. And then he finished every race after that. With a couple of seconds and a few other podiums to boot. He, and Franzoni uh, only was four points behind Norman for fourth in the standings. There were a couple of other one-offs here and there, but really the feel was there were seven drivers that were entered for every single race this year. And uh, hopefully we're going to see some more teams come back. Team Profi is looking at trying to get two cars in. Sam Schmidt still owns a car. Yugos is trying to get to two cars full-time. Andrade is looking at keeping four cars in there. BN Racing is moving up. Carlin supposedly is coming back with two cars. We have a good uh, chance to see a great field in 2019. That is that is going to be good. Any early predictions for the Indy Lights title? Oh, ooh. It's hard to say, although I will say this, Renus has been very, very good and all the time he's been in the road to Indy. Um, if you can get him and the Yunkos car, I'm pretty sure he's going to be with Yunkos next year because he won the title with them in Pro Mazda. Um, if you get him and the Yunkos car, 
Victor Franzoni in a Yukos car full time next year and with a good enough budget where he doesn't have to worry about crash damage, I would place a bet seriously, take this down, Andre, of Renus and Victor against the rest of the field. You like uh, you like mm. Victor's experience in the series versus just Renus's um, pure potential. That's that's not a bad pick. Well, Victor, um, you also have to look at the fact that he has to drive. He had to drive with a lot of pressure when he won the Promaza title in 2017. He didn't have any money available for crash damage. He had to call it a drive in Promaza last year, the week before the race, the season even started. Um, he was working on a go kart in New Orleans when it all took place, and. He had to drive with a lot of passion and a lot of intensity because motorsports is his life, and he sacrificed everything to be in Indy Lights and be in motorsport where he is. When he won the Pro Mazda title last year in Watkins Glen, that was the first time his mother ever came wow. to see him race in America. And I also think uh, as well, you know, we know mm. that Patricio's moving up, Colton's moving up, um, Ryan Norman's going to stay around. I do think, though, what happens next with Santiago Rutia? Second in the championship, back-to-back years, drops to third this year. Uh, what happens next with a driver who has been just too close to call? You know, he finished every race this year. He was was about 96 points out of the lead. Is this the end of the road for Uruguay's next racing superstar in IndyCar? I hope not. Um He's very talented, and I think that he could play a role as a villain in IndyCar. Um, very, very decisive, very, very forceful with his moves, and very, oh, very, yeah. um, uh, how do I say this, um, dynamic, extremely dynamic. And I think that with um, the right people behind him to help him get into IndyCar, he could be a force to be reckoned with. Um, I hope that he does go to IndyCar. I think he would be a great addition to the IndyCar field. And I do, too. He has more Twitter followers than some of the uh, drivers in IndyCar, actually, I think. Yeah, he's basic, he is basically Uruguay's entire motorsports presence in the time after Gonchi Rodriguez, which is really, really cool to see. And I do hope he would get... I do hope he gets the chance to move up. We'll see what happens. Um... Road Indy's looking good. It looked good last year. We had three really awesome champions, and it's looking good this season. Um, should we then progress into our main yes, event, sir. which is the IndyCar preview? All right. So why don't we uh, why don't we take another quick musical interlude, and we'll regroup for the what you all came here to listen to. Which is our 2018 IndyCar Series preview. <laughs> preview. What Pre- year is preview? this? Is it review or preview? <laughs> oh no. It's 1998, and boy, oh boy, we are all in on Dario Mania. Yep. Cart going public is going to be the best thing that ever happened to this series. God, th- just wait. This is Toyota's year. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okie dokie. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. And uh, <laughs> I... 
<laughs> I had one job. It's, it's already vast and extensive. RJ. It's currently standing at about 17 minutes long. Um, <laughs> you see what happens? You let RJ host one little segment and you see what happens. <laughs> oh dear. So, we, 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 we weren't quite sure... On, on how to best go about this. So we decided to review this IndyCar season team by team in rough championship order. As you can see, we're a professional podcast with professional standards, <laughs> as always. So we're going to go roughly from bottom to top here. So RJ picked out the order because, and I quote, it felt right <laughs> to go with Junkos Racing first. RJ, tell us a little more. Yep. This was uh, this was a single car with Chevrolet engines, three rookie drivers, uh, Rene Bender from Austria. No relation to Brad Bender because <laughs> if you want a winder, you don't go with this Bender. Uh, drove six races. Kyle Kaiser, your reigning Indy Lights champion, drove four races, including the Indy 500. Alfonso Chelis Jr. drove two races. Um, this was. This was going to be a learning year for Junkos Racing, who had a lot of experience at the lower levels. Um, and it kind of showed in some regards. Uh, the team, pretty much, um, if I look over the uh, if I look over the results, um, and I see, yeah, I'm I'm noticing a trend here, and that's a lack of any top ten finishes. I want to say their the best finish they had was sixteenth. Uh, Kyle Kaiser got 16th at Long Beach and Bender got 16th at Barber and that was the best that any one of their three drivers did yeah, all season. Yeah, the whole thing kind of felt like a bit of a baptism of fire for him. You know, I don't want to say they were out of their depth. It's always going to be hard for a, a brand new team moving up to, you know, to, to challenge in what is a, a, a glorified spec series. It's always going to be hard to stand out, especially with that lack of experience. It's probably a lot more important in that regard in this series but they're only going to get better from here I mean it's, it's it, it was a rough first year for them but I think everybody kind of expected that no yeah that's uh that's fair to say and they've they've already laid the groundwork for the future they're planning to expand to two full-time indie cars next year and they're going to the uh to the top class in IMSA's uh sports car championship as well this is a top-class organization. Once they get this IndyCar thing figured out, they're going to be around for a while, I feel. Partially true for the uh, second car in IndyCar. They actually are built, finishing up building the second car. They might enter one in, the second one in the, Indy, uh, in the Indy 500. The plan is to try and get one car at least full-time. Uh, it all depends, of course, on sponsorship because sponsor dollars can be hard to come by. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they could do in IMSA as well because it's an entirely different realm of motorsport that they aren't used to running in um unless you count the spec miata drives that ricardo had over the last couple of seasons by himself um i have very high hopes for english racing ricardo has uh, made this very clear that his passion is what he wants to do with his life he has a very fantastic facility about a stone's throw away from the indianapolis motor speedway not even a two-minute drive from the south side of the track um i've been there before it's clean well maintained well kept um the simulator room is great and really it's just a great wide open space and it's a place that any indycar team would be proud to call home um ricardo's done a great job with that organization building it up since he came to the united states back in 2002 with just 400 dollars in his pocket in the backpack 
That is awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, we'll see what happens. Obviously, this was very mm. much a ride that was for sale to the highest bidder, especially you know after Kyle Kaiser ran his four races. Um, we'll see what happens with the seat. Um, I would love to see Kaiser get a full-time opportunity, but there are just so, so many drivers that want, you know, a, a top-flight seat like this. On to the, uh, on to another team that is making the full-time, uh, switches, Harding Racing. Um, we had a full season of Car 88, which was driven by Gabby Chavez for 13 races, Connor Daly for three, and Colton Herta for the finale, with a second car enter for Patricio Ward in the finale at Sonoma. Um, yeah, this was a team that burst on the scene last year, got a couple of out-of-nowhere uh, strong finishes at the 500 and at Texas, yeah. and then the rigors of a full season kicked in. It was not easy for them. Um, supposedly, the cars um, were running with some older spec dampers on them that were um, pretty ancient. Um, it, it really hampered their efforts during the rest of the year. Um, Connor Daly actually had a great result at Toronto. Mm. Um, unfortunately, ran out of fuel at Mid-Ohio on the last lap of the race. Um, but the last race of the year, when we had Colton Herta finished 20th I think it was and Pato finishing ninth after starting fifth uh it was pretty clear that they definitely did get some help from Andretti Autosport they did have supposedly they had Andretti shocks in the car and that really showed what that car and that team were capable of if they had a little bit of help with them um I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do next year they're partnering up with George Steinbrenner and they're going to have a ward and herd it back next year. It's going to be a very, very interesting team to look at. And there, I mentioned how Yukos is based right by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Harding is actually based closer to the speedway than Yukos is. They're, the shops are not even a three-minute walk apart from each other in Speedway. Indiana. Also, I have to say, shout out to Gabby Chavez for one of my low-key Motorsport 101 Fight Club moments of the year when he and Simon Pagano got into it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, shout out to my iPhone for not recording the video in the proper uh, orientation and when I tried to post it on Twitter it would show up sideways and I would have gotten a pretty nice little uh, <laughs> bump from that because it was a great moment I was able to get right by them and hear uh, oh, yeah, them you're right yeah it's, it, this always happens once we get to the end of the season there's always something interesting that I forget happened earlier in the year it's just like oh yeah that did happen the, the Chavez and Pagano and, and he got spat. so petty off it was that Gabby Chavez took a picture on Twitter after him eating a croissant in response <laughs> Gabby Chavez leader oh, of the Petty good. Olympics clubhouse <laughs> In, oh, man. Look at that day. I like <laughs> They're just a really thin pancake. Um, so, King, being that this is, a, by an extension, a the New York Yankees racing team, um, how are you feeling about uh, Harding Steinbrenner racing going into 2019? Uh, I'm excited. I think I, – I don't think they're going to be, you know – fantastic out of the box next year i have a gut feeling it's gonna be a bit of a growing year for both the team and the drivers but uh i do feel a little bit that it seems like gabby chavez isn't gonna have a ride next year oh so. gosh yeah shout outs to gabby chavez who was apparently on a multi-year deal and uh doesn't look like he's coming back again 
and then and that uh, it, it almost seemed likely that Connor Daly was go- going to get the second seat until you know the Steinbrenner deal came together. So it looks like Connor Daly's going to have to keep on waiting again, or find you know maybe find a ride elsewhere. It sounds like a broken yeah, record at this point about Connor Daly narrowly missing out for another seat. It's getting it's getting ridiculous at this point. Oh dear. <laughs> and, and fair play to Connor. He's at least been just like, hey, you know, it was a business decision and it's good to see that business rewarded talent after all. Like, nobody's disputing, like, the fact that Colton Herta and Patricio are awarded, like, can't miss stars in the future and that their talents are cultivated right. You know, you're looking at two future champions of the series. Could very well be that. It's a very, very exciting team. Like and for those guys listening out there who, again, missed it last week and said, if you want to feel old, Colton Herter, IndyCar's first driver born in the year 2000. Sigh. <laughs> so you have two two teenagers co-managed by, um, co-managed by a 22-year-old uh, billionaire. Excuse me, a millionaire, twenty-two-year-old millionaire, uh, with two teenage drivers. Man, every year is a growing year at Harding. <laughs> oh Al Unser Jr. out there, look at in his Yankees hat, looking like he's a retired baseball player that's now a pitching coach. <laughs> uh, this just in: uh, they're trying to seek Gillette to sponsor them and give them free razors for the next couple of years so they learn has, how to has, shave. Has, has, has anyone told them you can get quality blades with Dollar Shave Club for less? <laughs> Although they're not <laughs> sponsoring <laughs> us yet, but Dollar Shave Club. If you do at Motorsport One Hundred and One, our DMs are open. We are yes. always looking for sponsorship opportunities. <laughs> nah, nah. I need. I, I want the big corporate money. Gillette. Sponsor us. Motorsport Yo, 101. A cu- well, a cu- I already got the slogan. Motorsport 101. A cut above hey, the rest. There it is. Hey, there it is. Hey, there we go. Also, I'm just imagining um, the inevitable moment when we try and cram Aaron Judge into an IndyCar two-seater. That's not, oh, that, he's six foot eight and 260 pounds. That's not going to happen. It, exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm waiting for it. You're gonna have to put him in using a plunger. <laughs> the fo- the photo ops though. <laughs> like yeah, and breaking news like Aaron has hit the has hit the DL with two broken legs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the '99 and the '88. Oh dear, fun times for all involved. And uh, King now has a new favorite racing team. Congratulations, everybody! More yep. material for me to roast him next season. <laughs> But yes, the Harding team, very exciting to keep an eye on for the future. And Pado Award had that sensational weekend at Sonoma at the end of the year. Made the far six, qualified fifth. Would go on to finish in the top ten in ninth. Harding's best result of the year. I, I hope they get a little bit more help and a bit more resources coming their way. Because again, as Chris pointed out, when Andretti chipped in a little bit, look how much better they suddenly got. Um, kind of crazy. But uh, hoping, hoping they have the resources to keep them, keep them afloat properly for a full year with two cars that could be a big jump but i'm curious to see how it turns out next on the list rj carlin carlin um the team we dismissed as being the uh the the castaway ganassi b team this was charlie kimball in the 23 uh novo nordisk uh, Chevrolet and Matt Shilton in the number 59 Gallagher Chevrolet for the full season uh, things did not start so great but they got better as the season went on 
including Charlie Kimball's first top five finish since 2016. Yikes, that feels like such a long time ago. But that's the thing about it. It's like, Carlin were not great to start off the year, but they certainly hit the ground running and were certainly a fair bit stronger, if still a little inconsistent um, as the season went on. Charlie Kimball finished in the top ten six times this year, which for a brand new team is not bad at all. I mean... There's, there's no getting around it. They were two of the lower ranking full timers. I mean, that's like you, you you weigh up the scoreboard. You could say 19 guys, I think, ran every single race. And they were 17th and 19th on that list, which is a kind of a shame. Max Chilton kind of struggled this year, no doubt about it. But Kimball, solid team leader, good results across the board, included, you know, as RJ alluded to, that fifth place finish in Toronto on home turf. Um,. There's promise in this in this outfit for sure. I would say. Yeah, and I think it also you know highlights the fact that you know Kimball's tenth uh, place finish at Long Beach, where the team were real when the, at a time where the team were really struggling mm. to find their feet, that was a good result. You know, think back to the tenth place finish they had at Texas. Um, again, Carlin has Carlin hadn't driven many, uh, haven't fielded many cars in in big boy series you know they've done indie lights and they've done uh and they've done the european ladders to formula one but this was something very different so those two results i think uh as much as the fifth place for kibble at mid ohio highlight you know how much potential is in this team again carlin are one of the top racing organizations that are not in formula one that probably should be in formula one but are pursuing other opportunities elsewhere because you know, Formula One just is not feasible for them. Not only that, we have to remember about Carlin. They ran the entire year with engineers that had never done any work in IndyCar before. So they were completely on the deep end. And the fact that Charlie Kimball did get a fifth place finish in Toronto was a fantastic result for the team. And when we spoke before the year started, I spoke with a couple of other people before the year started. I actually predicted if there were going to be 35 cars in Indy, one of the car and cars might not qualify for the race. I was worried about them because um, mm-hmm. they hadn't set up an Indy car for an oval. Then again, they did do a decent enough job in Indy lights. They surprised me, honestly, getting both cars into the field. Um, they did a good job with that and full marks to them. They proved that uh, I didn't... Uh, give them enough faith in what they were going to do for that race. Um, but I think that Carlin's going to be much better next year. Uh, they're supposedly they're looking at trying to get a third car on the grid next year. Uh, he told uh, somebody it was 70-30 about getting a, new car, a third car on the grid. And when I spoke with Trevor Carlin at Watkins Glen in 2017, he gave me the same odds for starting an IndyCar team for 2018. So I'm thinking you're going to definitely see a third Carlin car on the grid next year, and that team's going to be moving further up the midfield and maybe even getting a few extra top five finishes. And also, full marks to Max Chilton, too. At Mid-Ohio, he got into the mm. fast six for Carlin, the first time they ever got into the fast six at all. Unfortunately, he had a drive through penalty that kind of ruined his race, and he finished 24th, but he was doing pretty well that weekend up until that point. That's a very good point. I didn't consider there about Max Chilton. And yeah, if they are in that third car, I think one obvious name screams to mind here. Can you say Ed Jones, anybody? Um, <laughs> yep, he is a uh, he is a Carlin legacy after all. He did win the Indy Lights title in 2016 with them and came into America with them. I'm looking at this a little bit closer. Yeah, they were 10th and 12th at Texas, and they were 9th and 13th at Pocono. 
Yeah, that's not bad at all. Solid that's midfield. Not bad progress. Solid midfield. That's a, that, which is probably where Carlin should be aiming for next year. Like, if they can be more, if they can get into the top thirteen or fourteen more consistently, that's not a bad haul at all. Like, that was about the best of where Harding was this year, outside of Sonoma in that final race where they got a bit of a buff at the end. Like, if they can just get into the top twelve and get into the top ten a little bit more consistently, there's no reason why they won't put themselves a little bit higher up the standings. Like, Kimball's a solid, experienced name to build a team around. Chilton, again, those races didn't quite work out overall, but still solid. Um, I think I think Chilton, again, is, I think he's a driver that is a bit better than his results have made out in IndyCar so far um, for me. So looking forward to seeing where they go from here. I'm very curious if they run a third car. We're going to have like... Like, you're going to have like 11 billion cars on the grid next year. It's going to be great. Um, I'd like to see them all go around St. Petersburg <laughs> with their one-minute laps and see what happens. Um, <laughs> but uh, moving down the list a little bit here, we now have AJ Foyt Racing, as I like to call them, Elizabeth Worth's favourite team in the world. Um, <laughs> hi, Lizzie. Uh, the team that has survived 50 years of operation, the team that has survived uh, a, a, a deeply bitter American open wheel split, and most importantly, survived like 50 different like killer bee attacks. <laughs> As you do. Uh, this was... Including this was... setting some of them on fire this past year. <laughs> and surprisingly... For the first time in a long time, their driver lineup will survive what? for next they're, year. They're actually keeping both yeah. their drivers this year? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would, of course, be Tony Kanan. Um, he of now 300 IndyCar starts. And Mateus Lights, the youngest full-time rookie in the field. They also had James Davison for the Indy 500 with Bird, Hollinger, Bellardi. But we'll just pass over that and talk about Kanan Leist. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Um <laughs> It's still kind of crazy that Mateus uh, Leist wasn't even born when Tony Kanaan made his IndyCar debut all those years ago. But um, yes, that was their team. And well, a few good results here and there. But I think the story of Foyt again was just unreliability from the team in general. And a car that never really looked like it could really get up there to match um, Foyt's, shall we say, optimistic projections on where they could possibly end up. Their best result all year was Tony Kanaan finishing sixth at, I want to say it was Toronto. It was Toronto, yep. Yeah, that, that was their best result of the year. Kanaan had yeah. three other tops. No top no top finishes. finishes but you realize that that also hides the fact that, you know, Kanaan was running solidly in the top ten for pretty much the entire Indy 500 until he wrecked. Indeed. He, he was running top three for the majority of that race until his spin happened. Kanaan was running way up there. He was having a really good 500. I remember when Matt Leist as well had a brilliant... Like, he was so fast as a rookie out of the box, and then he binned it during the race at St. Pete. So... Yeah, that was just like when we got out of like the first couple days of the St. Petersburg weekend, we were just like, holy shit, have, have we, has AJ Foyt Enterprises suddenly found like the next Senna in waiting with fluffier hair? And then he just <sighs> wrecked. And the season did not did not progress any better. Yeah, Matt was just sort of there and he didn't get a single top 10 finish. His best was 11th um, at Pocono. And, and at uh, Pocono, yeah, Kanan. Yes. 
I wouldn't say the wheels have fallen off for Kanan just yet, given his age and whatnot. I mean, hell, he just crossed 300 consecutive starts um, in IndyCar with that last race at Sonoma. But, uh, like, it's not the... I don't think it's a great car for a guy winding down his career like Kanan is when there's clearly still running issues with this team where they just, like... We know what we know that team's capable of wins. They've done it before with Takuma Sato at the helm, and they've had the resources to do it. It's just they can't seem to put a full season together at the moment, and it's it's not a good Simon Kanan is sixteenth and fourth last of all the full time runners, and Matt Leist was you know second from the bottom of all the full time runners. It's uh, it's not where Foyt wants to be. I think that's safe to say for most people. Uh. King, I'll, I'll throw this one to King. Do you think Matt Leist was rushed up too early? Yes. Uh, I don't know. To, to me, it's always easy to say yes, but there's always... There's seemingly a big gap between the lights mm. cars and the indie cars. Some drivers could bridge the gap easily because they were clearly ready. Some drivers, they, they're not ready for IndyCar, but they've outgrown the lights cars yeah and i think that's a case with lice as well and also you know brazilian sponsorship had a big part of why he was suddenly thrown up the ladder from uh from what was it british um british formula three to uh to indycar in just about a span of two years yeah, and I think that's, that's and I, I have to agree with King as well as that he was rushed up too early. Um, I think another year of lights would have helped him iron out all of the uh, all of the kinks, and I think that he would have he would be a much more complete driver if he would have spent one more year in Indy Lights. Um, who would I rather have seen in that seat? Well, the upper driver that deserves better, Connor Daly. We've never mentioned him on this show about him missing out on on seats, now, have we? <laughs> oh, of course, of course, of course. I mean. After all, he is the guy that got A.J. Foyt's last uh, top five finish at Gateway last mm. year. Mm, that's a good point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they also had a they also had another guy who was good in India at one point. Yes. We'll get to him shortly. Yes. Sigh. He likes minions, etc. Um, but, yeah, like, it's it's, it's amazing because we joked about it, but this is the first time, I think, in four years that, that Foyt's actually going to retain a driver lineup, um, which is just crazy given they, they, they shuffled through Sato... Jack Hawksworth, Connor Daly, Carlos Munoz, to get to this point, and they're probably actually again worse off than they were a couple of years prior. Um, yeah, as Cam points out in the Discord chat, it's almost like it isn't the drivers. <sighs> Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, the uh, Foyt guys will get some of their shit together again because again the, the potential is there they've always had the potential they've always been able to attract good drivers and let's not forget Kanan was still a top 10 guy in the series as, as recently as last season so seeing Kanan down there 16th overall I don't think is a fair reflection on his current ability and what he's capable of more on that down the road moving up down the field a little bit further let's get into everyone's favorite uncle Uncle Ed um and dad 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 who by the way if you if you've mashed ed carpenter and jordan king to some terrifying voltron um that was just one person like ed jordan carpent king um this person would be 12th in the standings on their combined results most of that was ed carpenter's second place and indeed 
their teammate running full-time in the 21, Spencer Piggott, who was 14th overall this year. But a couple of really outstanding results for Spencer later on in the season. A career-high finish in his first podium of second place at Iowa. Um, as well as the fourth place finish in the penultimate round at Portland as well, including, who, who can forget Spencer Pickett's fantastic outside pass on Scott Dixon at Portland. Um, Spencer Pickett can drive everybody, and uh, I, I, I really look forward to seeing him get another year under as well, because I think he's really starting to crack this IndyCar thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude's good. He cracked the fast nine at the Indianapolis 500, and that was always one of his... Uh, one of his uh, one of his areas of opportunity, you might say, was that Spencer Pickett, very supremely talented on road and street courses, but still need a little bit of work on ovals. Uh, once he turned up in Indianapolis and made the fast sit, uh, fast nine, I think we started to realize, hey, he's starting to turn a corner. And then when he got to Iowa mm. and uh, came from 18th on the grid to finish second, ooh, now we're talking some progress. And again. He's just 23 years old. It's kind of crazy to think he's come such a long way, especially on ovals, when he was held back from running a lot of ovals earlier on in his IndyCar career because of that 20 car and Ed Carpenter running running the oval rounds. Like It's kind of crazy that in such a short space of time, he's really dramatically improved as an oval racer as well, mentioning that Fast 9 victory. But we also have to mention a little bit of, uh, of uh, oval, oval dad, uh, Ed Carpenter, out there. Indy 500 pole sitter. Ed Carpenter, um, may, may we uh, may we forget that he qualified on pole at the 500 and pretty much ran in the top two all the way from start to finish. It was a a nice reminder that Ed Carpenter is still pretty good at ovals when he wants to be. Yeah, this was his best time at it since 2014 when he won at Texas. Just ran into a big old willpower shaped. Um, brick there brick wall there at the Indianapolis it's a problem for a lot of people but who among <laughs> us also top 10 finishes at phoenix seventh there 10th at iowa 10th at pocono just had the one wreck at texas but hey. which he may or may not have done on purpose <laughs> yeah awkward goodness um how do we uh, so now um so now let's talk about king and yeah. no, be- no better person to speak with about than, uh, of course, King. Jordan King. Um, what do you make of Jordan King this year? Uh, I would say good year for a first year, uh, yeah. especially moving over from a series as competitive for- as Formula 2. Two uh, facets appearances at St. Peach and the Grand Prix mm-hmm. of Indy. Yeah, it was, it was a good move across the Atlantic. I... Like, I really want to see him appear, make some oval appearances, but it's, see, it's seeming more and more likely that that's not going to be the case next year. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely, yeah, I, have to, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think Jordan King, well, again, was actually, again, a little bit better than the results made out. Let's not forget Portland. He, he was running top four for the majority of that race. He was one of the big losers. Um, on the shakeup at the end of that race, which which bumped Takuma Sato up to the winning position, but King has no problem. He's he's got no in, he's got no fear factor. He has no problem rubbing wheels and getting uh, getting frisky with some of the really big hitters in IndyCar, which is which is encouraging to see. And you know, most of the times he was in the car, top twelves, not bad for a rookie at all. 
No, not yeah. bad at all. And you look at, um, I was talking to him at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course when he did his first test there. I think it was like in, our t- in August that he did it. Uh, not August, uh, April. Sorry, wrong A. Um, he very much respected what the Indianapolis Motor Speedway means to IndyCar racing. And in fact, told me also, he definitely wants to do ovals and is looking forward to the challenge of running on an oval as well. And I love seeing that from a driver that they're willing to embrace a form of racing that they have never done before. Uh, Love seeing that in someone like King. Um, Did a fantastic job at St. Petersburg, actually set the track record in the second round of qualifying. Um, Did a great job. Um, His results don't indicate how good he really is. I'm hoping to see him back uh, next year in some other capacity if he's not in a Carpenter's team because he's better, I guess, like you said, better than what his results indicate. Oh, for sure, without a doubt. And also, may we say one more time, Manor Marussia Road to Indy Product. Yes! <laughs> this will come up later on down the road. No question. But, uh, yeah, Ed Carpenter, once again, another really solid unit and, you know... I've been harsh on them in the past, given how they kind of let Joseph Newgarden slip through their fingers a little bit. Um, um, as time went on, they couldn't hold on to him, which again is understandable, given what a, what a bright talent he ended up being. wonder what happened to him, anyway. Um, but, yeah, they've got a solid little base going, and then Spencer Pickett could be a real star next year. I'm really looking forward to seeing like another year of Spencer. As RJ pointed out, I forget, he's only 23. I mean, jeez, that is... He's still very, very young, and he's still got a, another 15 years ahead of him easily if he wants it, and he's already getting on the podium. And Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I, I should check myself. He just turned 24. Close enough. But, you know, that's very, very young. Yeah. No, no, that's age. Yeah, no, like, he, he'd already be in his fifth season if it was F1 by now. Jesus. <laughs> but, uh... He would already be looking at uh, being the uh, the the fringe option that Toro Rosso kind of doesn't want because they would prefer to have somebody else seat. in the car. Formula E seat, you know, <laughs> as you do. Um, so yeah, a lot to look forward to out of that team as well. Like Spencer Pickett is a great talent, and Jordan King I think was definitely a bit better than expected on on that one. So yeah, keep an eye on Ed Carpenter racing going forward. Um, and now, next up on the list, it's Team Bourdais, um, a- apparently sponsored by Dale Coyne. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yep, Dale Coyne is next on is next on the list here. And, uh, yep, the juggernaut that is Sebastian Bourdais is still a thing, and he's still very high-ranking in the championship. He was seventh overall this year, 425 points, um, two podiums, and, of course, the, the win in the opening round in St. Pete. When uh, Alex Rossi decided to go paint strimming, as you do, but uh, <laughs> but uh, lest we uh-huh. also forget as well a fast nine appearance uh-huh. at Indy uh, that ended a wreck, uh, the pass of the year that was by letter of the it's of a the fucking pass which we do <laughs> not respect. That yeah, so the pass of the year that technically wasn't a pass, but but fuck those laws. Uh, nope, we do we not don't. recognize them. Um, um, great drive, great drives at Mid Ohio and at Portland and at Sonoma. Yeah, Sebastian Bourdais still has it. He y'all. really does. In fact, I would argue that Sebastian Bourdais never even lost it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, where did he lose it? That's all I wanted to know. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, he led 108 laps all season. Like Bourdais was in that upper mix for a lot of this season, and uh, you know you can't argue with. Uh, six or seven performances seven performances in the top six this year um 
So, yeah, Board 8 is still every bit as good as advertised. Had that pass of the year. For me, the absolute pass of the year at Long Beach. I don't care if IndyCar didn't count it. If you're going to use it in your advertising pieces, it's a fucking pass, if you ask me. Um, but And also, the drive of the year, or one of the drives of the year in mid-Ohio, when he went from 24th oh, all the way to 6th. Yeah, that was an outstanding drive. Yeah. That was an outstanding drive. I mean, it was passing people for fun during that race. Uh, track is just generally pretty hard to pass around. Um, yeah, Bourdais cleaned everybody up, and, and the, probably the pick of the bunch being running round the outside move on the uphill chicane on Ryan Hunter Ray. Brilliant bit of driving from both of them where that was concerned. Um, yeah, Bourdais is still absolutely kingpin here, in, in, and still an elite runner in this series, if you ask me. What about the 19 car, fellas? Um, well, let us, uh, let us go ahead and run down the rest of this, uh, roster. Um, we had in the 19 car, the original plan was Zachary Clayman to Mello for 10 races, Pietro Fittipaldi for 7. Then, of course, Pietro Fittipaldi gets hurt. So they plug in some guy from some Formula 2 team somewhere. Apparently, he's from Connecticut. He runs two races and then comes back to run two races in another car. Oh, and they had Connor Daly for the 500 and Pippa Ban for the 500, who unfortunately didn't make the show. Sigh. Uh, this is... This is the TBA portion of Dale Coyne Racing's lineup. Um, <laughs> Always a fun time. So I guess we sh Yeah. So why don't we start with the people who obviously were meant to be there. DeMello and Fittipaldi. DeMello wasn't half bad. I I'll, I'll say that. Like DeMello was fun. <laughs> he was fun. Like, yeah. who can forget his spear by reins moments on Spencer Piggott in Barber? <laughs> He had the fastest lap at Barber. <laughs> he did, didn't he? Jeez, I do remember that now. Yes. Yeah, his best finish of the year, 12th place at uh, at IMS on that one um, in the Indy Grand Prix itself. Um, numerous blocks during Z500, which was fun to watch. But yeah, Zachary Clackery de Macquarie was a pretty fun driver to keep an eye on. He definitely had his moments. Um, I'd say, again, the 19th is a bit harsh because I think he was running a fair bit better than that at many points during said 500 as well. So, like... Yeah. Led during the uh, the pit cycle exchanges, they were running some sort of weird alternate strategy. And again, this is for an injury substitute because he was not the first option that was supposed to be in that 19 card. That was... Uh, grandson of Emerson and by extension nephew of Christian that is Pietro Fittipaldi who we saw in the final five races of the season and the second race of the year Phoenix but there was a big size gap where his uh, where his season got derailed by him breaking both of his legs Oof. during qualifying for the six hours of spa gruesome and if anything Pietro pr openly admitted he probably came back a little bit too soon um, in mid-Ohio for that one. But once his legs fully healed up, an 11th place at Gateway and then 9th in Portland. Like, great to see Pietro running so well when he came back off the injury as well. And to crack the top 10 in that 19 car is no easy task. Yeah, Pietro got a 9th place finish at Portland and he really, he even told me after the race that, yeah, his legs still weren't at 100% at Portland, but, I mean, he wanted to be in that car so badly he was willing to, you know, force himself to perform at a higher level than what he thought he could. He did a great job uh, the time that he was in the car, and I'm looking forward to seeing if we can get him in a few more races for next year. Um, well, I think people underrate Pietro Fittipaldi. He has a very diverse motorsports background. Mm. He's on open wheels, cars, on yes. road courses, 
and street circuits and all he's done what was it late models in the, the southeast yeah. he, he's yeah, done a lot he, of things he did like he did late model stock cars before he went to race single seaters in europe it's just crazy yeah, and of course, you know, it's it's going to be irresistible having, you know, eventually Marco Andretti, Graham Rahal, and Pietro Fittipaldi, all these second-generation drivers. All and Colton And Colton Herta, too. And Connor Daly, if he finds a ride. Is this some sort of, like, wrestling event now where they always mention about generations of wrestlers in there now? Now we're getting that in IndyCar, too. That's actually quite cool. Uh Nah, just yeah, just wait for it. IndyCar's version of Legacy. Oh, <laughs> uh, so who plays Ted DiBiase in this one? Connor Daly in his bursting money pockets, right? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, also it's worth mentioning as well. Um, big shout out to um, Ferrucci for that eleventh place on the final Anderson, but that was a very strong result as well for him as well. Yeah, he was quick, but he was also ragged at Detroit. Mm. Um, and uh, he was also kind of quick at Portland, and then of course the car ran out of fuel, and then strung it all together for an 11th place finish. Not bad at all. And an engine that would not idle, so we actually had to use the clutch three times every single lap um, just to get it to idle so, uh, for, so we can get around the slower corners. He put his head down and did a good job when he needed to and just shut out everything else, and good job to him for mm. that. Um, and of course, we also have to look at the future with Dale Coyne Racing because supposedly... They've reached out to a couple of uh, Formula One drivers that might be out of work for next year. Um, they, yeah, they've pretty much reached out to like every potential Formula One free agent this yeah. season. Esteban Ocon, Stoffel Van Dorn, and Pascal Verline have all been linked. Yeah, to Del Quinn potentially running a third car for for all of next season, which could be interesting. Um, Can you imagine the the how much Dale Coyne Racing would shoot up the grid if they got Stoffel and Esteban Ocon next year? Not, not everywhere. (laughs) World's largest not. (laughs) I'd be a Dale Coyne fan immediately if their lineup was Bordet, Ocon, and Van Dorn. Holy shit! Um, (laughs) I'd be I'd be here for all of that. Odds of that actually happening probably quite unlikely, but. So I want to tweet. So I want to tweet out a photo of just like the McLaren Technology Center posted next to Dale Coin Racing Shop, uh, which, as any IndyCar fan knows, um, that is not necessarily a bustling facility. Which just goes to show you how awesome it is that Dale Coin Racing can achieve these results with what little resources and facilities they have. And I want to just pose the question: like, just based on the pictures of these two buildings alone. What what facility do you think would give Stoffel Van Dorn a better chance of sustained top level success? It's kind of sad that the Little Dale Coin Factory actually will probably win here. Oh God! What's, oh, what's also by a landslide? What's also interesting is that Dale Coin Racing spends their money very very wisely. Mm-hmm. One thing that Craig Hampson spoke about in his uh, interview with. Ryan Eversley and Sean Hemming on another podcast that y'all can mention. I don't want. I don't want to take that away from y'all. <laughs> um, they don't hire. I don't think they hire janitors at Dale Coin Racing. If you walk past a trash can that is full, you might as well empty it because nobody else is going to. Very good points. So, if you want to spend your money wisely, look at Dale Coin Racing. Dale Coin. And he, Craig Hampson mentioned this on that particular show. Um, He's put more of his own personal money into IndyCar racing than probably anybody else except for Roger Penske. 
it truly for him is a labor of love. Um, and Dale really has not gotten the credit that he deserves for bringing young guys into the and girls into the uh, sport the way that he has. They are the little team that could, Dale Coyne, and uh, I can't wait to see how their, their very famous driver TBA gets on at the start of the 2019 season. Um, <laughs> and if I, if I may... Should we say two TBA as in to be a Belgian former Formula One star, or even a French one, or even a German mother? Hmm? So, sounds like fun. Sounds exotic. Um... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Coin, the little team that could and still has the very large heavy hitter in Sebastian Bourdais. Look for him to win at St. Pete again next year somehow. Just because he does. That's what he does. He, go- he goes home and he wins. From, like, from 26 Sure, why not? The <laughs> the, the, only three things in life are certain. Death, taxes, and Seb Bourdais wins at home. Okay? that That's just... I don't make up the rules. These, these things just happen. See if he finds a more spectacular way to win it in 2019. But that's Dale Coyne for you. Damn. Now I'm just imagining it, uh, IndyCar at Sequita with Sarth, because that is also Sebastian oh. Bourdais' home race. God. Can you imagine those cars down the bullseye straight? biggest That would be nuts. reckless. <laughs> that would be reckless and dangerous and totally irresponsible, and I'm kind of yes, all here sir. for it. Um, so... We get into the upper half of the grid now. It's a bit more fun at, the, at this level. Rahul Letterman Lanigan Racing, ladies and gentlemen, with Graham Rahul, who was just sort of there this season. It's kind of a weird one. We'll get to Rahul in a minute as well. And of course, said everybody's favorite Japanese driver, our friend and yours, and maker of the catchphrase, Takuma Sato, um, who got RNL's only win of the year in Portland. He was 12th in the championship on 351. Had one other podium as well, finishing third in Iowa. Graham Rahal had a podium at the start of the year in St. Petersburg, greatly benefiting from, again, Alex Rossi dive bomb, and didn't get on the podium again for the rest of the season. He finished eighth overall, had one, two, three top five finishes, and he he just hovered mostly in that six to ten range all year long. And if anything, am I crazy to think now that for Graham Rahal, that's actually kind of half a step back for him, given his previous two years, he was the best Honda in the series. I look at it even a different... at the start of the season, he claimed that he would be a title. But he had been the previous two yeah. years. That's the funny yeah. thing about I... it. <laughs> yeah, I look at it a different way, though. I look at some of where he started and where he finished. Saint Petersburg, twenty fourth to twelfth. Uh, Barber Motorsports Park, fifteenth to seventh. Indianapolis Grand Prix, 17th to 9th. Indy 500 itself, 30th to 10th. Texas, 20th to 6th. Iowa, 12th to 7th. Um, and there were a lot of races where, out of nowhere, Graham Rahal was just like, how in the hell did he get a top 10 out of this? Long Beach in particular, when he kind of punted Simon Paginot off at the first corner and then came away with a top 5 Justice finish. Justice clearly has not been served. Um, French justice has clearly not been served. Um, but it's, it's. I'm, I'm not quite sure how to sum up Ray Hall's season, like in that sense. Because again, like as, as mentioned, like the last two seasons, Ray Hall's been the top Honda. Now Honda have clearly come a long way this year. They 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 won they won the engine supplies title this year instead of Chevy for the first time in a few years. Um, it's weird. Ray Hall's been. 
better than this in the last two years. And don't get me wrong, it's it's kind of weird because like, Ray Hall really did break that glass ceiling two years ago when he challenged Montoya for the title. And he's kind of still been winning on occasions and and you know, picking up good results where he can. The consistency was there from Graham, but no real outstanding result or drive all year long. It's a bit weird for Graham to be in that one, but... Uh, King, I, I wonder if what did you make of it all? Oh, I I think it's a case of them being, you know, in the same position and everyone else around them improving. Because, you know, the teams that they were racing against, I mean, the teams that, you know, they were pretty much on mm. even keel with last year, you know, Smith-Peterson... Uh, you could even put Dale Coyne in that conversation. They've both, like, Smith Peterson had a wild Oof. year. We'll get to that later. But they've improved compared to they have. Hall, Letterman, well. like, I wonder, like, and Chris, you, you can help me out on this one here. Are they a little bit too stretched running two, two cars full-time now? Because, like, Graham was firing a little bit higher than this the previous two seasons, and now they've got two cars underneath them. They're a bit more spread out and a little bit further down. Don't get me wrong, other teams, again, as King mentioned, like SPM, definitely improved this year. But what do you make of, of RL season? I think that it's it does have a bit of growing pains having a mm. second car there this year. But you have a quality driver in your second car with Takuma Sato who has a good amount of technical feedback. He's driven so many different cars on so many different circuits. He can help you figure out the differences and how to go from circuit to circuit and get better as a team. Um, granted, there are some things you just can't control, like James Davison having a screwed up anti-roll bar, then you know coming to uh, you know a slow pace right in front of you at the Indianapolis 500, or or say you get taken out in the mm. first lap, uh, the seventh lap incident at Pocono, or or you have a situation like uh, be it bundled up in a five car incident at Portland. Um, that's something you just can't control, yeah. but there are some things that you can do a better job at preparing your cars and getting the right setup to where you don't have to worry about that kind of deal. Um, if they would have gone with like an inexperienced driver for the second car at Rahal and Melanigan Racing, I would say, yeah, it would have been a big detriment. But you, once you get the growing pains of being a second car full-time out of the way, I expect both cars to finish in the top 10 in points next year. Uh, because you have a seasoned veteran in Takumasato coming back next year who's going to be able to help you figure out the arrow kit a little bit better and do a much better job next year. With an inexperienced driver, it wouldn't be the I wouldn't have as high of hopes. And should we also point out that this was like the second straight year of the world where, where Takumasato goes to a new team and you're just like, I don't know what to expect out of Takumasato. And as it turns out, instead of actually declining once he gets above 40 years old, he's actually getting better. It's kind of scary how he's still you know, he's still winning races at 41. He's 42 in January, Takuma. And he's still up there with the best of them. I mean, jeez. Four finishes in the top five this year for RRL. Like, like eight in the top ten. It's pretty darn solid, no matter which way you slice it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we also forgot to mention, they did have a third car for the Indianapolis hmm. 500. One that almost won the damn thing, courtesy of Spanish veteran Oriel Servia in a collaborative effort with Imsa Stalwart, Scuderia Corsa, and, uh, yeah. 
That almost happened. Oh, God. They were, what, three laps short in the end? Did you see that they needed a bit more yellow? Four, Four. laps short, they did a bit more yellow. And they might have just been able to pull it off. But uh, <clears throat> Oriol Servia gave us... And here's the scary point. thing. Here's a, here's a scary thing. He was actually leading Kenny to the final restart. Who got around him? Uh, Stefan Wilson and Jack Harvey. We could have had three... We had three part-time competitors in the top three positions with eight laps to go in the Indy 500. We totally didn't go mad about this on a certain day of classics-related hangouts on the day. <laughs> Hi, Zoe. <laughs> I know you're listening. More on you later. Hey, Zoe, we miss you. Love you. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Um, what do we... Do you think we see Serbia back Why not? next year? I mean, he's he's a known commodity within the team. I think Hell he yeah, I think he wants to. And I think Scuderia Corsa are going to try and expand their efforts into IndyCar racing. Alessandro Balzan is one of the big, uh, people behind Scuderia Corsa, and he was his it was his very first time in Indianapolis this year. And I spoke to him about going to the 500. He had a lot of fun there. I mean, he he had no idea that that particular track could fit over 300,000 people on race day. He had never seen that many people before in one place, so he was blown away wow, by that's, everything. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, well, yeah, I'd love to see Servia back with another go. He's just he's still a darn solid driver and more than more than capable of being able to qualify well in the 500 and go from there. So yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah. The different the difference between Oriol Servia and the average pedestrian driver was really proven at the uh, at the Indy Grand Prix of Detroit. Well, let's just say they brought in somebody else to drive the pace car that was not a real Serbia. <laughs> in IndyCar's viral moment of 2018. Uh. By the way, full marks to IndyCar's media department for placing the thumbnail for the second Detroit race as the pace car before it leaves. Oh, they it's. knew exactly what they were doing on that one, didn't they? <laughs> somehow I think that was... Somehow I, I, I don't think that was unintentional. Just putting that out there. <laughs> That's brilliant. But uh, yeah, definitely, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be more than down to uh, to see Servia back next year in some capacity with them. That could be fun. Speaking of fun, well, let's say ups and downs. It was a bit of a roller coaster for our next team. It mentioned Schmidt Peterson Motorsports, and uh, what a topsy turvy year they've had, um, to say the least. James Hinchcliffe and Robert Wickens were 10th and 11th in the championship. And ironically, the eventually also finished on exactly the same point total, 301. They had the one win, um, James Hinchcliffe winning in Iowa. And to be, you could make the very strong case they could have had a couple more in there easily if certain, if, if certain elements didn't go their way. Because, let's be frank here, the real star of the show this year, and one of probably the stars of the year in IndyCar this year, was the rookie of the year, our friend and yours, and your favorite Canadian chum, Robert Wickens for life. Um, who came out of the box, had his had, had won the pole position for St. Petersburg on his very first qualifying session, and really was should have won that race with two to go. We all know the story. Rossi came in a bit too hot on turn one, knowing it was probably his last chance to win the race. Robert goes into the wall. Um, <laughs> right, um, Rickens goes into the wall. Rossi goes on to finish in third. Everyone's hearts break. He gets a stand innovation when he comes out of the back of the paddock, which was a nice touch from the IndyCar fans. He really appreciated that performance. But 
Let's be real here, RJ. The story of, of Schmidt Peterson this year was was the ups and downs of the team, and the, and specifically the ups and downs of Robert Wickens. Um, why don't we start with the ups and downs of James Hinchcliffe? With the start of the season, they brought in um, they brought in three time Lamar race winning engineer Lita Gade to basically form. Uh, basically a dream team, you know, because there are very few engineers that you know on like a name basis, like a like a Tim Sindrick or a Mike Hole. And Lena Gate is mm-hmm. up there. Uh, by the end of the month of May at Indianapolis, Lena had parted ways with the team. Maybe part of the reason why was because James Hinchcliffe didn't make the Indianapolis 500. DNQ <sighs> did not qualify. He was the bigger it was the big name victim of bump day alongside pippa man and everybody's hearts just sank um yeah that was a miserable day uh, to say the least on that one um the the, the, the gate situation was a real bit of it was a real french tragedy wasn't it i mean like again that was a massive name pull for the series there was a lot of talk about Hinch needing someone as a race engineer to take him to that next level, um, being the big fish in that team, and it just did not work out because Lena seemingly just struggled to grasp how to get the best out of the car at ovals, um, something that Robert Wickens excelled at right away. Um, oh, my goodness, yeah. When, when this season started, uh, I believe if you've listened back, I think I picked Robert Wickens to win Rookie of the Year, but I didn't know where he was going to finish because, again, Robert Wickens had not driven a single-seater competitively since uh-huh. 2011. He had been doing touring top. He had been doing touring cars. And with a driver like that, you kind of feel like, okay, Robert's in his late 20s. He's done a lot of high-level racing, but DTM can be kind of a crapshoot in terms of year-to-year competitive form. I don't know where he's going to finish. Will he be Rookie of the Year with, like, maybe a podium or will he be rookie of the year with like a couple of podiums no actually as it turns out robert wickens probably should have won a handful of races and was the unanimous rookie of the year undisputed um a sensational season four podium finishes um you know three other performances in the top five and again was 11th in the championship having missed the last three rounds he could have easily cracked deep into the top 10 uh he was sits before yeah. Pocono. Top six. Wickens was sensational. If there was a Rookie of the Year award for all of motorsport, Wickens might have been a contender here. Um, <laughs> just uh, He really did, in this sense, capture the hearts and, and, and minds of IndyCar as just this new guy. Okay, okay not really a rookie in, in the traditional sense, but just came out of the traps absolutely flying. And, like... For me, King, as good as anyone in the series this year at his best. <laughs> yeah, we make a yeah. yeah, we make we also we make a lot about, you know, the missed opportunity at St. Pete. What about the missed opportunity at Texas? Jesus, yeah. Where he got where he also got wrapped up in that incident with Ed Corbin. Wasn't he running second during that race at that point as well? Second yeah, or third, yeah, and also was... Phoenix too. He got passed by Newgarden on the outside with like three or four laps to go. I know because me and Sarah were watching that race together. That was such a fun time. Uh, it's and of course we all know how Robert's season ended with that awful crash at Pocono. Come, um, you know, tapping side by side, tapping wheels of Ryan Hunter Ray at two hundred and ten miles an hour. 
um, Wilkins goes spinning into the catch fence and uh, well we all know the extent of the injuries like we've talked about extensively on the show in the last few weeks but uh, it's it's genuinely been lovely to see him back on social media in the last fortnight or so he released his first public video since the accident during the uh, the Sonoma weekend like just before the season finale started and we've since seen him back on a bike, believe it or not, as weird as it is to say. Um, still in his wheelchair, mind you, but uh, on an electric bike, which is great to see that he's not paralysed from the from the waist down, which is which is a great sign for Robert going forward. Of course, we continue to wish him all the very best um, in his recovery. Hope to see him back in a race car soon. And of course, as, as Sam just pointed out, that seat is waiting for Wickens if and when he comes back. Hopefully that's a when rather than an if. But uh, yeah, we also had uh, we also had Jack mm-hmm. Harvey for most of the season in what is effectively a third Schmidt Peterson Motorsport car run by Michael Shank Racing, later Meyer Shank Racing. Um, Harvey had some good drives. Again, this is another case where you know in a part-time role, maybe the results don't tell the whole story. Uh, best start of fit 13th at Portland. Best finish of 12th mm-hmm. at Long Beach. Um, we had uh, Carlos Munoz in the sits car for the final two rounds. Set the fastest lap in mm-hmm. his first drive at Portland. Uh, the f- and uh, Jay Howard was there. He, 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 he showed up. Good, good, good to see Jay Howard riding his bike again. But... Um... Funny, fun little thing about Jay Howard. I actually had a chance to speak to him over at the uh, Road to Indy test. Um, he had a decent little buyout clause in his deal with Schmidt Peterson, I believe. And some people were just pitching a fit about, oh, Jay Howard should give up his seat. Howard told me he was the first person that went over to Arrow and said, give us whatever branding you want to put on the car. They all knew what was going on there, and it was good to see that he was willing to put a bunch of Arrow branding on the car to help out with what happened with Hinch with that's not making the show. I did not know that. That's, uh, that's very cool, Jay, to do that. Um, realizing the situation, very un- that's very unselfish of him, given how important that 500 seat is, and you know, if it was a one-off ride. That's a that's a big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jack Harvey. Yeah, so I want to mention as well. Jack Harvey had a couple of really nice-looking drives set up at one point. I think he was running top five in St. Pete, and then he was running the same strategy as the leaders, but then got caught out with a puncher. I think it was. Um, and then as I remember as well in Portland he was running top five during that as well so like again Harvey's had some good performances in there again the results just don't tell the full story but uh, again like Harvey had some solid results and uh, he likes pink and that's always a winner in my book so uh, hope to see Jack Harvey back next year so Meyershank Racing is looking at expanding to probably 10 races next year so they're trying to just conservatively build up their effort in IndyCar racing and doing it smartly that's what Michael Shank told me over at Portland so uh, look to see them at some more races next year uh, they're doing it the right way in my opinion yeah, built. excellent excellent great to see now alright now we're in the big yes. three territory this is interesting because we're going to get to Penske first. Normally we'd save them for last for this sort of thing, but Penske are actually third on the list of teams mentioned. A Well, it's, it's again, it's a, it's sort of a tale of two seasons here, really, isn't it? Because, yeah, for the first time in a while, they didn't win the overall series title. But at the same time, they had the 500 winning driver in Will Power, which is great. So, and, and 
no series title for him this year. Will Power was the, was the best of their three drivers in third with 582 points. He had three wins this season, winning both races at Indianapolis. One of them, a bigger deal than the other. As well as winning in Gateway, he had four pole positions um, as well this season. Actually, three, sorry, I should say, because one of them was, uh, was gifted on points order. He had the highest average starting position of anybody in the field. He only missed the... Yeah, he missed the fast sits once. That is sensational speed. Once. Yeah, like, if, if anything, this was probably the sort of year that cemented Will Power probably as the fastest man in the series, point blank, because another big story about Will over the last couple of years is his oval game has tremendously improved um, to the point where he can he's, he's now as good as anybody on an oval, as well as being one of the best two or three on road and street courses. Like, Power's now got an oval game. Everybody look out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he's had an oval game for a while, though. This was just the year where he was starting to put it together. But, oh, he will brew missed opportunities. Crash at Phoenix. Crash at Fort Worth. Off course at Barber. uh, Header issue at Road America. Uh, that I think may have been the uh, the turning point in the championship that was just holding willpower back just that little bit, and also twenty first at Portland didn't help at a time where he desperately yeah needed a points. lot like Chevy's reliability certainly was a, was a little bit of a factor in in power season. I mean, it was a situation where I think he could have easily really got up got up, got up amongst Dixon and Rossi for true title contention at the end there if he had a bit more luck with with reliability. But uh, yeah, like. Power, like, seriously, might just be, like, the fastest all-round guy in the series now. And he's now firing up that all-time list of wins and pole positions. I think he's now, was it second all-time on pole positions now? Is it third? I'm not... Yeah, he's second second all-time, and he's gonna take first place, I feel, by the time his career up. Which, you know, that first place mark, you know, many people thought that wasn't ever gonna be caught. It's probably going to yeah, be cut. Power is scintillatingly quick, um, and he's now won. I think it's four of the last eleven road like, oval courses that have been ran in IndyCar, which is a terrifying hit rate for a guy that quick. Um, which is, and of course, you know what a way to to bookend the, the, the twilight of your career with your first Indy 500 victory, really cementing the set and probably cementing Power's legacy. One of IndyCar's true greats with a 500 victory on top of that and Penske climbing the fence again for the first time since Helio did it for the third time round so always a fun time there moving down the board a little bit you get to fifth place and the failure to defend the one in Joseph Newgarden that was the that was the that was the landmark of his season trying to become the first guy to retain the IndyCar title since Dario Franchitti did it um and first it was looking good for the first one, two, five the races. First four. One yeah. at Phoenix. One at Phoenix. Um, one at Birmingham, a race I sort of watched in Kinda. person. Um, yeah. Um, don't, let's not talk about that. And then he comes into the Indianapolis 500 with a points lead, and then it disappears. And it wasn't like Newgarden was, you know, struggling to finish races. He only failed to finish five laps. He was four laps down in Texas in a race where Penske were notoriously chewing through mm-hmm. their tires and one lap down at Pocono. Those were the only laps he didn't finish. But at times where he needed uh, podiums and wins down the stretch in the final eight races and the final seven races of the season, 
He can only get top 10s. Didn't get a podium after his final win of the year at Road America in August. Did not get on the podium after that. I wonder how much he's going to regret that mistake in Toronto. Oh, yeah. We're granted, he still came away with a ninth place finish, but that could have been a whole heck of a lot more, especially since he qualified. Yeah, for, those you, for those who forgot, yeah. he was leading that race um, and off a restart, lost control of his car in the mar- oh, Detroit, I should say, sorry, not Toronto, but uh, yeah, he was he was leading the race um, with with a caution coming out. He was re- he restarted the race, hit the marbles, and then put it in the wall. Um, basically, gift wrapping a win to Scott Dixon, um, which is about the last thing you ever want to do in IndyCar is to gift wrap Dixon an easy one. Um, not fun for anybody involved, but yeah, it's. That was pretty much the story of how New Garden lost the title, was that he just could not get any of the really big results in the second half of the year. Which is, again, it's weird, because New Garden was consistent, just not consistently fast. Which is odd to say about Joseph New Garden these days. But, uh, you know, still, fifth overall, second year in the box is not terrible at all. Led the most laps of anybody this season, 485. Wow and yet still only finished fifth in the championship. How bizarre. Um, and with the bad strategy called Portland, he would have had another win and second place finish probably. Yeah. He had an amazing race there until uh, they made that bad decision to pit. Yeah, very good point. Uh, Bensky not the best when it came to strategies on the pit wall this year either. Um, and just below Newgarden in the championship, Simon Pagano, sixth overall. Not a win, not a pole position, and bottom ranked of all the drivers who actually led a race or led a lap. He had only led 31 laps, and let's not forget, this is a guy that was dominant series champion just two years ago, and I think Simon would be the first to tell you, um, he probably struggled more than anybody in the field with the new aero kit, and just didn't... just. No wins, he had a couple of second places this year, second in Texas, second at Toronto... But yeah, just. But we know that's it that's isn't. not the real Simon Pagano. We came to know and love in 2016, and by extension 2012 when he filmed that awesome uh, driver's horn oh, video with my French friend Newgarden. <laughs> Simon, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Apart from apart from the the race where he got taken out, turn one, lap one at Long Beach, he ran at the end of every race. Indeed, but uh, just. Graham. God damn you, Graham. Um, <laughs> Graham Rahal, the first guy in the world to complain about driving standards, then drives completely into the back of Simon Pagano. Irony's a bastard, ain't it? <laughs> but uh, I, I hope we get Simon back up there um, in, in the top end of the field, um, like really right in the thick end, because like he, there was no one better on Rodal Street, Street, pardon me, well, Rodal Street courses um, like when he won that title last year than him he was sensational and that's that was the bread and butter that won him the title um two years ago and uh, i hope to see him back in there soon worth an honorable mention about to helio castroneves who came back part-time for the month of may as well we've got we've got to talk helio as well sixth place um which was a nice return from him in the grand prix of india and then sadly a wreck um one of the fastest guys in the month of may period yep yep started started eighth um, was running solidly in the top five, top ten or thereabouts until his wreck. Um, of course, he's doing this part-time because he's doing IMSA full-time and got Acura Team Penske their very first win at uh, mid And still a solid competitor on the, on, on the Penske And games. he will... And, 
Yes, and and he'll be back next year. He will be back yeah, next year to run the five hundred. He still has magnificent hair. Magnificent hair. That's Penske for you. Like, I, I wonder how much they're going to be ruined not winning the title, but still picking up the five hundred. That's going to be interesting. But you know what, Rogers? Like, he's going to want to win everything he can. Just celebrated his five hundredth um, win as a team owner, but Brad Keselowski winning winning his third in a row in NASCAR as well. So five hundred wins for Roger Penske as a team owner, which is uh, ter- terrifying. And, <laughs> and that and that win with Brad Keselowski tied him with Mark Donahue for being the all-time winningest driver in oh, Team wow. Penske history. That's a nice little factoid there. It's a oh. fifty-nine wins that apiece. That's crazy. And as Cam points out in the Dang. Discord chat. It's like, Penske had a subpar year and still won the 500. Kind of crazy how it all turns out in the end, isn't it? <laughs> Didn't just win it. Pretty much dominated via willpower. I mean, I think uh, Carpenter was like the only driver in his zip code yeah, for most Yeah, pretty of the much. Race. I mean, Carpenter did lead more laps than he's ever had at Indianapolis. I think he, I think he had I think it was something like 65 out of the 200 laps. So, like, Ed, Ed led a third of the race. And just didn't put a foot wrong and came in second, but the only guy to beat him was Will Power. Crazy how that turned that one turned out. But yeah, subpar year for Penske, not a terrible year, but it's which all three of their guys in the top six, which is which is hardly a bad year at all after downsizing. But uh hey, they have the Borg Rawner trophy. Not a bad year all told. Next up yeah, Alright. Nets team, it's uh who this is a thick one. Thank you so much for everybody who's listened so far. We got two more teams to go. This one just happens to be the largest. Andretti, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget the heat, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a lot of blue and a lot of yellow here as we talk Andretti. And <sighs> This is Andretti Autosport. Um, Ryan Hunter Ray, Alexander Rossi, Zach Veach, and Marco Andretti for the full season. Carlos Munoz and Stefan Wilson for the Indy 500. No sign of some Spanish dude. No, not that one. We just talked about mm-hmm, Oriol Serbia. Mm-hmm. Maybe next year. But, um, I mean, on paper, a very good year for Andretti. They led the charge in, for Honda winning the manufacturer's title. Alex Rossi finished runner-up, 57 points behind Dixon in the end. Um, Hunter Ray had his best year since his title winning year. He had a pair of wins and was fourth overall, including the double-point finale win at Sonoma um, on him in a minute Marco Andretti was was tied for 8th just lost out on count back due to the podium that Graham had in the opening round but he was level on points of Rahal for ninth overall and Zach Veach uh, as the rookie um, 15th but again didn't really tell the full story a, a string of good results for Veach but we'll go from the top first on this one um, and talk. let's talk Alex Rossi who, was, who finished as uh, overall series runner up um, there might not be a more entertaining driver in this series right now than Alex Rossi. He, you literally took the words right out of my mouth, Trey. That was gonna be my hot take. He's the most entertaining <laughs> driver to watch in the IndyCar today, bar none. Yeah. And if and if you had said that when he had come to the series in 2016 as that guy who was settling on IndyCar because he couldn't find a ride in Formula One. People would be laughing quite a bit, but no. All it took was for Alexander Rossi to get a bit, a little bit of a mean streak to go along with his na-na-na-na-napa know-how, and whoo! We're talking about a title contender for years to come. Three wins, four pole positions, 
Uh, winning at Lo- dominating, should I say, in Long Beach. One in Mid Ohio, Inspector. Dominating in Mid Ohio. His his worst part of the weekend really was when he failed to do a donut and stalled the car. Uh, fun times for all involved. Um, you know, he won at Pocono as well um, in in dominant fashion. Could have easily had a couple more. I mean, you maybe should have. I mean, this could be the story of Alex Rossi. He is phenomenal entertainment, as we saw it. He he was willing to go for the win in St. Pete. He tried to hold off a rampant Ryan Hunter Ray in race two in Detroit, and it ultimately cost him dearly on that one. But who can forget 17 on-track overpasses during that final round when he got back on the lead lap at Sonoma to finish in seventh. Not to mention as well, and there's one other really great driver I wanted to mention in there as well. I mean, the Indy 500, of course, when he went round the outside of six cars in two corners. This man like started 30, I think it was 30-30 he had to start that race. At any five hundred, Sarah. This is the part where, if you're just catching it, we're saying nice things about your son. I told you we'd do this. <laughs> he almost won the Indianapolis five hundred for the back row for the first time yeah, ever. Like th- this kid is a spectacular racing driver when he's fully plugged in, and that also might be the double-edged sword that cost him the title this year. That's the sad coin flip nature of. Rossi, he lived by the wheel-to-wheel moments, and sometimes he died by the wheel-to-wheel moments. Uh, yeah, if he'd uh, if he'd just been a little bit more patient at St. Petersburg, he's got that. He's probably win. got that win. He's probably he's got, got fourth that fourth win. win. Yeah. He, he probably would have only finished second or third in Detroit race two instead of twelfth, and almost a lap down because of that late race puncture, which he caused by driving a little bit too aggressively. He did get a bit of a bad boy reputation for running Wickens off the road a couple of times this season as well. But that's the nature of Atosi as a driver. And you got, you know, one hand giveth, the other taketh away. And that was the beauty and sadly kind of the tragedy of Alex Rossi this season is that he was phenomenal. He was spectacular. He probably should have won this championship this year if, if, if the other side of the wheel-to-wheel aggression of his driving was a little bit better. But... He'll be back. Oh, he'll be back. Once he'll he roughs out the edges, season. he is going to be truly sensational. He's one of he's for me right now. He's one of maybe two or three drivers in the whole field who can win anywhere, and that and that is something I don't say about a lot of people in IndyCar. A lot of guys specialize in one or two areas. Rossi is excellent everywhere now, and you can automatically plug him in as a title contender pretty much every year going forward. Let's not forget. He's still only 26 years old. Um, so, yeah, Rossi is going to be a phenomenal yeah. team leader for this for Andretti going forward. But that's not to say anything negative about Ryan yeah. hunter Ray next up. He was fourth overall. Yeah. Rumors of Ryan hunter Ray's uh, demise as a top-level IndyCar driver have been You see what happens when he finally gets a little bit of luck? Not even not even a ton. A little bit. He yeah. wins races. Ryan <laughs> hunter Ray was phenomenal at times this year. He was second in Barber. Second in Detroit race one. Won race two in spectacular fashion. Won the double point. But completely dominated the, the final race of the year at Sonoma, led 80 out of the 85 laps from pole position, as dominant a weekend as you'll see in IndyCar. Ryan Hunter-Ray is not dead. He is still as great as anyone in the series, but is still at the same time hopelessly unlucky. And again, I think he could have really been up there this year if if the reliability of the the 28 car was just a little bit better. Yeah. 
fuel pressure issues at Gateway, of course, got caught up in the bad wreck at Pocono, uh, suspension issues at Iowa. Those were his only three mm. retirements. And again, that, that could have easily been 50 to 100 points right there. That could have got him right into championship contention again. Four laps down at Long Beach, a, a track where he's yeah, won before. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, the, the list is going on. Like, I don't think, as, as Henry points out, he's totally unbiased in the Discord chat and does, totally doesn't support Ryan Hunter Ray at all. And that is, for the last two or three years, that's been the story of Hunter Ray, where he's just struggled when the car's not been underneath him properly. But when it is, he's spectacular as anyone in the series still. And, uh... He's spectacular, and Paul Genalozzi gets to throw a brick <laughs> through his own television. That's the most important thing. Um, not to be outdone here, Marco Andretti quietly had a very good season where we kind of, you know, suffice to say, maybe Marco Andretti is not going to reach the levels that Michael did, certainly not that Mario did, but He's still a very serviceable IndyCar driver. Very consistent. He was hanging around the bottom end of the top 10 for most of the year. Had a couple of nicer drives there. Fourth in Detroit race one. It was fifth during the final round at Sonoma. Um, like Marco Andretti is still a very solid driver. And as you say, like of course, he had all the golden child prodigy prospects when he first came in. And... You know, towards the end of last year, there was a lot of rumblings about his future. If anything, this swap to the 98 car and, you know, re- being under Brian Hurtable was seen by many. It reminded me a lot of Valentino Rossi a few years ago when he broke up with longtime crew chief Jeremy Burgess, who had been with him for, 30, I think it was 13, 14 years. And a lot of people saw that as like Rossi's last roll of the dice as a bike rider, where they thought, okay, if this doesn't work he probably is done because he came back to Yamaha in 2013 and he you know, he was clearly the fourth best guy out of the Elite Four back when it was still a completely Honda v Yamaha type championship and I'm rambling about bike stuff for a second here just to make the point that you know a lot of the parallels can be seen here with, with Marco Andretti and the Herta move was seems like maybe the last roll of the dice and it seems to have actually worked out alright here I mean 8th place overall is a solid is a solid result I would say I look at Marco Andretti as someone like what could have been. Like at Toronto, he was running, I think, in fifth place at the time. But unfortunately, uh, Brian Herta's crew did not get enough fuel in the car. And unfortunately, uh, he had to make a pit stop there with a couple of laps to go. Um, Marco had fantastic form at Sonoma. And I'm thinking, where? and it was his first, what really blew my mind was that was his very first Firestone Fast 6 appearance was at Sonoma. He got pulled at Detroit in the first race. Where was this form like like earlier, like years ago? I love I like seeing Marco Andretti do well, and yes, a lot of people like a lot of people like, you know give him hell for you know not having results here and there, and it's been a long time since his last win. But a strong performing Marco Andretti is very good for IndyCar, and it's good to see. I just wish that we had more consistency. He showed very well at Sonoma, did very good there, and I wish we could see more of that form the entirety of the year. Um, why it hasn't happened, I don't know. But to see him do that well is good for all of us and good for IndyCar as a whole because the Andretti name is one of the best names, most well-known names in IndyCar racing and in motorsports in general. And to see it up front is a good thing. And I will double down on the fact that he is always a factor to win Indy. You know, he hasn't mm-hmm. won it yet. He came very close the first time out. 
Uh, but if you look at all the seconds and thirds and fourths and top tens, you're thinking eventually you he's got to break You think he's very good at Indianapolis still. Um, still a guy that's more than capable of getting into a fast nine if, if the car underneath him is right. I just hope, I just hope Fernando Alonso didn't take his soul when he took his setup last year. Uh, just throwing that out there. Oh, dear. Yeah. Can we talk? Yeah, let's talk about the fireball. Let's yes, talk about sir. young Veezy. Zach Veach. 15th overall, second in the um, Rookie of the Year votes. Two top fives. So he was fourth at Long Beach in just his third ever IndyCar race full-time. Um, and then fifth at Gateway as well. But he also had a good run of, of four straight top tens um, between Toronto, seventh, Mid-Ohio, tenth, Pocono, sixth, and then Gateway, fifth. Um, and his car caught fire about 14 times this season. Yeah. And, and in spite of all of that, Zach Veach was one of only four drivers that was running at the finish of all 17 races. The other three, your champion Scott Ditson, your runner-up Alexander Rossi, and Joseph Newgarden. That's not it's bad very company, good company to be, to be in. in. And, like, it took it took Veach a little while to find his feet in the series, I think it's fair to say, Chris. But uh, second half of the season, he was very good. Yeah, Veach, Veach funny enough... Um, I ended up writing so many post race articles about Veach that my editor at Motorsport Tribune said, "Don't write anything else about Veach unless he gets a podium finish." Because <laughs> I, yeah, he's like, "Yeah, you wrote about him in the last three races. Like, wait till he gets a podium. No more about Veach for now." And I'm like, "Okay, fine." Um, Veach did a great job in the last half of the year. He had a four, a good four race result there of seventh at Toronto, tenth at Mid Ohio, sixth at Pocono, and fifth at Gateway. Um, and let's not forget his third race of the year, Long Beach, fourth place finish. Um, From 16th on the grid. Yep, he was right behind uh, Ed Jones there, close to him at the end. And speaking of Ed Jones, the two of them had a nice little dice over at uh, Gateway there. And it was fun to see. Uh, Veach is only going to get stronger for next year, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does. Uh, especially after having the entire year to get used to the physical demands of the car. He's obviously been given a lot of hell over the years about his stature and all of that, but he's done a great job, in my opinion. I can't, couldn't, couldn't agree more. He was, he was very impressive out there, um, especially in the second half of the season. And, yeah, like I think he's sticking around for next seasons. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like, I'm sure he's got a hell of a fleet of guys. You automatically have two title contenders right away, a solid midfield guy in Marco Andretti who will, who will get the occasional great result. And Veach is only going to get better. So, Andretti with their four cars. It's a hell of a setup. Um, looking forward to seeing how it turns out. Also, got to give a shout. Got to give and, a shout out to yeah, yeah, yeah. And Andre. yes, we're. I, I guess we're about to give a shout out to uh, Stefan. Indeed, as well. yep. Stefan. I was going to mention him and Carlos Munoz in the five hundred as well. Carlos Munoz, another solid five hundred in seventh place. Um, he's he's very good around Indianapolis. Um, and Stefan Wilson, who finished 15th, and it could, it could have easily been so much more, just a few laps short. He was one of those guys, as mentioned earlier, who just ran out of fuel right at the end of the race and had to make a, a splash and dash stop, um, which was really unfortunate as well. But uh, Andretti, still as solid as always. Right. right. The team of the champions and the guy who likes winners. It's Chip. Who likes winners? Chip likes winners. Who banks on winners? PNC banks on winners. King, it's a bank. <laughs> who has a who has a uh, who has a legendary test tunnel that is more uh, 
that is more folk tale than uh, fact, but you know sometimes the fact is just as crazy. Chip does. You think he would get bored of crowd surfing at this point, but it still just seems to happen when his boy wins a title. Scott Dixon, obviously leading the charge this time around. He had three wins this year. And again, it doesn't tell the full story because, you know, Dixon wasn't the best qualifier in the world this year. His average start position was 7.6, but his average finish was plus three, 4.2. Way better than anyone else in the field this year. Um, only, only four front yeah. row starts including his Pollock Gateway, started on the front row at Belle Isle 1, Toronto, and Sonoma. That was Indeed, it. you know, was second on the list for laps completed, only missing out on four in total. The four laps he lost out in on Iowa. Had as many wins as anybody. You know, let's... They get, we can go skate, maybe we'll set by points anyway. But even so, it's... Again, we mentioned it before, but that champion's mentality from Dixon was what probably won him his title. He was he was not the best qualifier this year. He was down in the midfield, failing to make fast sixes a lot of the time on road and street courses, but his knack of bringing that car into play so many times. Only finished outside of the top 10 twice, and once was an 11-foot Long Beach yeah. and 12th in Iowa. Every other race this year in the top six. I mean, RJ, how do you beat that? Let's add a little mm. more context. Ditson qualified 17th at Phoenix. He finished 4th. Ditson qualified 18th at the Indianapolis Grand Prix. He finished 2nd. Um, he turned a 9th place qualifying at the 500 in the 3rd. He took 13th place and turned it in the 3rd at Pocono. He turned 11th place and a 1st lap pile-up involvement and driving out of a cloud of dust and dirt into a 5th place finish at Portland. With bent steering. With bent steering all the way. Golly. It's crazy. He's he's just so perfect. It, it you almost you almost want to despise it, but you can't. He's just so good. It's, 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 it's a matter of respect more than anything else. As, as Chris Chris mentioned last week. When he won that fifth title, like the the universal respect and appreciation for Dixon as a driver throughout the IndyCar paddock was genuinely refreshing to see. For you know Hinchcliffe, Newgarden, you name it, all the big hitters on Twitter were all very, very quick to congratulate Dixon as as the living legend that he is, um, as great a driver as anyone in this generation, and. <laughs> He he is he is the perfect racing driver for this series. He's just uber fast, ultra consistent, excellent. Like Mike Hall's one of the best strategists in the field. He knows exactly what he's doing to get him into play. When you have a combination that good, you will always be in contention for the title, and that is exactly what Dixon has done year after year after year. He is the gold standard for this series, and this year was another shining example of that. He's just that good, everybody. He really, really is. Quick chat about his teammate in the 10 car, Ed Jones. Now, again, bit of an, a bit of a weird case here because, and also, if anything, it kind of further highlights, um, you know, just how good Dixon was. He didn't have a rear gunner this year, not really. Um, he, he's had. A- he didn't have a rear gunner last year, and that was always the thing that we talked about last season with that Scott Ditson cannot win the title if he doesn't have support around him. This year, he had half the support, and the support at times wasn't there. Indeed. Like, it's like, 
Ed Jones had two podium finishes. Um, he is third at Long Beach. He was third in race two in Detroit. Um, finished right in the middle of the field there. 13th in the championship on 343 points, right around the Sato Pig sort of range. And was this too big up a leap in team too quick for Jones? Because Jones was 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 applauded for his time at Dale Coyne last year. Was very impressive there. Was oh, yeah. was super impressive during that during that race at Dale Coyne. Um and you know, drove very, very well, got this big bump up to Chip Ganassi and did did we expect too much of him coming into that second season? I think we probably did. Yeah I, I think it's fair to say. Uh, certainly, you know, Crashes early in the season at Phoenix and at the 500 didn't help. He was as low as 18th in the points at one point. Uh, came back to finish 13th. Um, it's tough. It's tough living in the shadow of Scott Ditson, which is sometimes what you have to do when you're not Tony Kanan or Dario Franchitti in modern-day Chip Ganassi times. It is. But that's the that's the nature of going to a team that signs winners, and you know that's what they do. And it's looking like Ed might be without a ride for next year. Who knows? There's still a lot of heavy talk in the air that Felix Rosenquest, our driver for hire and yours, will be in that number ten car next year. And you know that's been a long time coming because they they Chip's been high on Felix for a very long time. Um, I'd love to see Brendan Hartley over there still as well. Um, but apparently third carling cars on the table for Ed. But maybe maybe it was just a little bit of a sad case of too much too soon for Ed Jones, which is just a shame because I don't think his results were terrible by any stretch. I think it was No, they weren't terrible, but when you what they are by the lofty standards of what Chip Ganassi expects, this is kind of more like, you know, what you would expect out of the cars that kind of spun off, you know, of a of a Charlie Kimball level mm. or a Matt Chilton level when you when they were ideally hoping to get a someone on par with a with another Scott Ditson. Ed Jones still has time. You know, he's still a very young driver. He's a multi-time race winner in Native Lights and he should have been the 2017 Indianapolis 523 Ed Jones. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh I I don't think he's done just yet. You know, maybe a change of scenery will benefit him and, you know, if if who the prospect of them getting Felix Rosenquist. Hell of a oh talent. Boy. I mean, Hell of a talent. That could be one to keep an eye on for, for sure because uh, Felix is driver for hire for a good reason because he's a very good racing driver. Um, but yeah, Chip is still God. Scott Dixon is still God. Um, let's do a, a few arbitrary awards at the end of the year. What was your favorite race, fellas? Um, ha. Huh. That was a tough one. Um, the the one race that I saw in person was not necessarily my favorite race because I really didn't get a chance to enjoy the Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. That was cliche as it sounds. Probably the Indianapolis 500 really? has to be up there because hey, it was uh, hey you know it was not the fun not the most batshit insane Indianapolis 500 we've had because it wasn't so much of a slipstream battle but. Hey, it still provided a lot of good drama. Uh, Portland has to be up there as well. That's fair. That's interesting. Interesting. So Portland was a pretty good race. Um, Portland was really yeah, good. Portland was I'm going good. with Henry's suggestion in the chat. I'm going to say Iowa, and I'm not just saying that because James Hinchcliffe won. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
so even though Hinch coming through the, the midfield was pretty fun. Um, if there's one thing the aero kits really did get right, like, these short ovals were great. Uh, pretty much across the board this year. Well, they certainly made things interesting. They still need a bit of work on the super speedways um, to, to counter what RJ said. I think that was actually one of the more... Uh, one of the more mediocre 500s I've watched in recent years. I think it was... I think It, was, it, it wasn't, wasn't terrible. Bad. It wasn't... It was... It wasn't like uh, YouTube clickbait bad, but, you know, it was It was still fine. It was fine. I've seen worse Indianapolis I just feel 500s. like it generated too much dirty air, and it basically just spaced the field out a bit too much. And, I've, and I'm sure they'll work on that as, as, as time goes on. I'm sure they will. Um, Can we also throw it back to the start of the season at St. That, that was a fun race. Man, what a lot of drama rolled up into one big race. And, of course, that, that Titanic finish... Indeed. Uh, King, what was your pick again? Uh, I'm going to go with Portland. I think Portland was the the best race this Interesting. year. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, Portland, Portland was a good pick. Chris, yeah. what about you, mate? Well, y'all said Portland. Y'all talked about St. Pete. Y'all talked about Indy. So I'm going to go ahead and pick another race entirely. I'm going to say Toronto. That was a good Ooh. race. That was a good race. That's the thing about IndyCar, it didn't have any particular race that was completely mind-blowing as a race of the year candidate, but they had just a lot of really good races across the board in that 6 to 8 out of 10 range that were all very watchable. Um, there was not a lot of stinkers here, folks, um, and that's a good sign of a good racing series. Yeah. If you, you, you're not like, like you're not gonna have a race that's gonna blow your trousers every single time. That's in, that's virtually impossible unless you're watching Moto Three, and even then, Jorge Martin's already taken off half the time. So unfortunately, he's it's, it's not for, it's not balanced for the win. More on that on Bike Live later this week. See what I did there? But uh, like, every race was solid. And that's a good sign for a racing series going forward if you don't have particularly bad days at the office and your racing is generally good to great. You see so far as I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Right. Any other any other post-housekeeping moments? By the way, thank you so, so much for everybody that's tuned in so far. It, it's a long one, but we assure you that it's Indeed. worth it. Indeed. Um, we've got nearly two hours here, but... Driver of the year, fellas. Are we all going with Dixon? Or is it somebody said that to you a little bit more? Rossi. Uh, I would go with Rossi, but I think his his mistakes were too big to overlook. I'm gonna That's have to a fair shout, Dixon. RJ. Mm, this, one's, this one's tough. Um, it's very, very tough. Dixon was so consistent. Rossi was just so dynamic. I'm going to give it to Will Power. Because when he was on, and when the car was holding up, Will Power was Yeah, when Power was it. plugged in, he was unstoppable this year. Um, for me, I'm going to go for Robert Wickens. I think for surpassing any and all expectations that we had about him going in. You know, joining a team that on paper was still a glorified midfielder. Um, and especially given that Hinch had gotten a lot of the stories and a lot of the press going in um, about you know, the Lena Gade signing and thinking this could be the year Hinch breaks out. 
I don't think anybody ever expected Wickens to be this good out of the box right away, and and I think he captivated, and I think he, I, I think he he stole the hearts of a lot of people out there. And this is even before the accident happened. I think he had he he had impressed just about everybody in IndyCar going forward. Um, so my pick is going to be for Robert Wickens um, on on this one. Um, so you know. It's uh, that's that's my pick. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. But you, you went for four different people. That's that's quite interesting. That uh, we went for four different guys for driver of the year as well. Um, I think that will just about do it for our 2018 IndyCar season review. Gone just just under two hours. Well, we'll be we'll be over two by the time we're done here. But some general housekeeping to get out of the way before we get out of Dodge here. Again, one more time. YouTube.com. Oh, hang on. Hang on, before I get out of the way, Chris put a, an interesting suggestion in, in, in the Discord chat. A hot take for next year, maybe? Or a hot take in general? I think a hot take in general about Go this on. year. Mm-hmm. Like each of us would have a hot take about this year. Um, I'm going to have my hot take is going to be that I think by having so many more teams coming into car for next year, um, we may have to worry about limiting field sizes. I'm almost worried mm. about that. Although I, I am also thinking for a hot take, um, maybe it was destiny that Wickens and Hinchcliffe were going to finish equal on points. <laughs> it was always meant to be. <laughs> and also, it's also destiny kind of like when you have Graham Rahal, Marco Andretti also finished equal on points, and both of them were only one point ahead of Wickens and Hinchcliffe. Four yeah, drivers separated by one point. That is kind of crazy. <laughs> And if and okay. one more, if I may. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna. Yes. I'm, yeah, I know. I'm gonna talk a lot about this. Scott Dixon doesn't get the respect that he truly deserves from the World Motorsport Press. Not even outside close. Of America. Not even fucking close. Not even in America, let alone the rest of the world. Um, like Scott Dixon is pound for pound top four or five on the planet. Quite frankly, he he should be in Autosports every like top three list every year and it, we just we just don't seem to get that which i think is annoying shall, shall we say king king you've got to be sitting here with a hot take come on you've got you to nice uh, don't, don't forget don't forget to bring the heat <laughs> my hot take feels like it's a very lukewarm take but i, I think I, i'm willing to go out a little on a limb saying next year's champion is going to be an american Ooh. Interesting, interesting. Are you thinking, Alex? I don't know. I don't hmm. know. It, it, it's not tell. He's not going to tell if it's if it's someone that's our age or if it's someone a little bit old. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I have I have kind of a hot take. Um, um, as well. You know, I feel like the way the cars look with how much concentrated talent is on this grid, with how many great races that have a lot of history that's on the schedule, it really does feel like the wounds of the split. You know, there may be a little bit of scar tissue left, but they're perfectly closed up. It's fine now. If anything, I think IndyCar has a chance to get momentum and maybe, maybe just maybe, get back to being the number one form of racing in America. Because uh, certainly Maybe. the other big series is uh, not having the most positive. They are not going its way. No. But for me, my hot take. I think I think this is the best single seat racing series on the planet right now. And 
like if somebody put a gun to my head and said if I could only watch one series for the rest of my life I'd probably take IndyCar and this is coming off what's actually a pretty good Formula 1 season right now like for F1 standards this has actually been a pretty good year all told I don't know Dre I don't know Dre that Australian S2000's come around the corner we're not talking about Australian S2000. King? <laughs> Me and you are going to have to fight. I don't think you want these problems. <laughs> Look, unless but, they're willing to revive the Calderbark Thunderdrome, uh, it's it's not happening. I'm not so here for this. wants to have oval racing backwards. I'm not here for that either. Um, <laughs> but that's some interesting takes out there. Some interesting takes. Um, so yeah, that'll just about do it for this episode of uh, Sport One, and we'll be back next week to talk about well the return of Fight Club first of all because there was a huge fight in TCR this weekend. Um, punches thrown. We'll get to that next week. That that alone is worth the price of admission, quite frankly. Also, apparently Formula One are racing at Sochi. It's a really fun Grand Prix track, and you know F1 always has great races there. Nudge, nudge, mm-hmm. wink, wink. And hey, it might be Vettel's last stand for the title. So hey, it's bound to be fun, right? Right? Please. Yeah, that's for Donia, comrades. It's been fun, everybody. It's been fun. But yeah, we'll be back with a full review of the Russian Grand Prix next weekend. Uh, yeah, fun times for all involved. And yeah, we'll talk about Fight Club, which again, is always a fun time in Fight Club. Again, worth the price of admission. So basically, you can find us one more time. You're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to find our personal handles, you can do so at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at C the Harday, and at. Did I forget on that one? <laughs> Uh, you forgot King. Yeah, it's right. Ryan at, Eric yeah. King. That's with two Ks. And a boy. Thanks, RJ. Like I've been doing that like nonstop, perfectly for like a hundred episodes, and that's the first <laughs> time I've tripped up on that properly. Wow, that takes some doing. Um, and of course, if you'd like us, you could back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred and One. Five dollars gets you early access to both of this show and our sister show, Bike Live. Bike Live will be back with episode 80. 80 already? Um, on the M101 Network. 80. Our 80th episode this weekend. Reviewing all the action from MotoGP um, at Aragon. As Mark Marquez returned to the winner's circle with his third straight win at Aragon. Jorge Lorenzo broke his toe on a high side. And we all sit down and praise our new lord and saviour. Brad Binder, of course. <laughs> so all of the action reviewing from Aragon as well Marquez, uh, Brad Binder, Jorge Martin dominated in Moto3 again for his sixth win of the year, that kid is spectacular my god, and we'll review some of the crazy grid penalties and well, the downfall of Yamaha um, god, 23 straight races now have had a victory their longest dry spell ever as a manufacturer in the premier class of motorcycle racing so yeah, a lot to take in from Aragon as Marquez seemingly may have put one hand on the title already. 
So yeah, that'll be a fun time. Episode 80 of Bike Live this weekend. If you back us at the 10th level, you can also listen to us and these shows live as they go out by listening in on our Discord server. Big thanks as well to Cam, Henry, Steve, and Ryan as well for listening in. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, thank you. Yeah, for happy it. birthday, Brian. Happy, happy birthday, Brian, as well. I think he turned, was it 21 today? God, well, it's all downhill from here, kid. Um, have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill from here, son. Trust me. Um, have a lovely birthday, sir. I hope you had a good one. Yeah, I was right, 21. Huh. Again, like I said, all downhill from here, kid. Uh, trust me. But uh, happy, have a lovely birthday, Brian. Thanks for listening in and thanks for backing us as always. Um, thanks to everyone that's listened in. We'll be back next week for the Russian Grand Prix. Until next time, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Krista Harday, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. It's your move, bro. Do we have any sugary drinks? You're expecting me to say bye. You're expecting me to say bye, but damn, I did not know they made touring car drivers that big. Thanks, I'm not you are the world!